Welcome back to The Shelf's Oddity. I'm Serafina. And I'm Eerie. And the oddity that I'm feeling like today is just a jar of dirt. It could have a trapdoor spider in it. It could be like vintage dirt. We don't fucking know, but it's a jar of dirt. Mm, Very Captain Jack Sparrow of you. Love that. Where's the rum? Where's the rum? I got a jar of dirt. (laughs) The oddity I'm feeling like today is a horseshoe crab skeleton. You know, like I've just been taking a part of of a world that's been unchanging for like thousands of years hundreds of thousands of years and we're just like chilling vibing dry hanging out on a shelf exactly so i heard that you might have gotten a letter as steve from blues clues would like to say well what really happened is um i went through a period of life like we all do where the only thing that brings me joy is buying things i'm sure you understand little retail therapy. And then I was gone for four days, which means <laughs> that all of those packages accumulated. And I got to come home and it was Christmas, but like better than Christmas because I picked out all the gifts. Hell so yeah. I know it's stuff I wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. So first off, I got a new set of D&D dice that are uh, red and they have bat glitter like in them. And then the sides of the die, instead of having numbers, it has like four bats for the number four. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was. It's pretty rad set. Um, it came back into stock a couple days ago, and it was an immediate buy now because I had on the email notifications looking for it. Oh yeah. So I'm very happy with that. I also got new glasses because your girl's more blind, so I have a new (laughs) prescription, and I had to order new glasses. So I'm currently wearing a newer pair that like make my face look like I don't have glasses on. And I don't know if you have this feeling, but like, I think I look weird without glasses. I think I've Mm. just gone enough years of my life with glasses that when I'm not wearing them, my face doesn't look right. Yeah, they're definitely like a part of my face at this point. Yes, exactly. So I'm not sure about this pair. We'll figure it out. Are they clear or something? So they're heart shaped. Okay. Uh, and it's the whole thing is the lens, and then they have the like frameless frame, which I think is like a string type situation. Oh, you know what I mean? Where it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I could definitely see how that would give the vibe. Yeah, we'll see how. I did reorder the pair that I've had for the past couple years in my new prescription because I like that pair a lot. So. Mm-hmm. Really no foul here, either way. Well, you tried something. Yep, tried something new, and we'll see what happens. (laughs) And then the final thing I got was I ordered the Horror Hall by Culture Fly. It's like a mystery box that's specifically horror-themed. Oh, fun. Because I figured, like, if there's stuff in it that I don't like, I can probably find someone, or I probably know someone Mm -hmm. who wants that. So... This box was Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Lost Boys, The Nun, and The Exorcist, Hmm. and It. So there's kind of a large variety there. Uh, Yes, the things that I will be keeping are The Exorcist, which it came, it was an Exorcist umbrella. What? That says The Exorcist on it, and then it has four sides that are white with like splatter on them you know like the vomit and it changes mm-hmm. color in the rain that's wild yes so i'll be keeping that because that's love that cool yes the nun was a pin like an enamel pin of the nun face like screaming with her teeth out it's pretty yeah. cool i'll be keeping that as well um i like pins and stuff so no harm there i got a lost boys travel mug which is a coffee cup it's kind of small for me, so I will be re-gifting that to a friend who I know likes Lost Boys. So, her game there. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I got is a Pennywise book nook. And it's, like, really well done. It has a lot of detail. I will send... We'll post a picture of it on the Instagram. Yeah, because... I want to see that. Is it, like, it's the fucking... sewer or something? It's literally Pennywise's face in the book nook with, like, his hand, like, beckoning. And then it has an I Heart Dairy um, balloon. Oh, cool. And it just sits in between all your books. It's really fucking cool. I will be keeping it. I'm not usually like a giant Pennywise fan, but uh, it looks rad as hell. So I will be 
keeping that. And then uh, a Friday the 13th tote bag, which you can never go wrong with the tote bag nowadays. Yeah. Uh, it has a zipper pocket in it where the zipper pull is a bloody knife. Can never oh, go yeah. wrong with that. So I'll be keeping that. And then the other thing is a Nightmare on Elm Street windbreaker. I'm probably going to be posting that on Mercari for someone to purchase because I'm not a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan and I don't know anyone really who is. <laughs> so, What's it look like? Because the only windbreaker that I can think of is so, it from, like a, a replica of something from the movie or is it just like a... So it's green, like his stripes, like that like army mm -hmm. green i think is the best way to describe it uh on the front top like um in the breast area it has like the uh his claw hand and it says nightmare on elm street and then the inside of the windbreaker is his green and red stripes like his sweater hmm. and then on the back of the windbreaker there's a picture of freddie like his silhouette and like his sweater and then it has like a bunch of like words around it like words from you know like don't say his name stuff like that or like don't whatever it's cool it's a cool piece it's just i'm never gonna wear it <laughs> right i'm just not in with the nightmare on elm street thing i it's a west craven movie and i do like the original one for it being the original and it has young johnny depp in it where like yeah. you really can't go wrong with any of that young johnny depp in a Crop cut off crop top yeah. yep so uh i can't complain about any of that but he's not my favorite so i will be Probably posting that somewhere for somewhere to purchase. But otherwise, everything that came in the box is very high quality. And I'm oh, very yeah. happy with it. So That's awesome. Yep. Oh, and then I have, uh, I got a tattoo. Well, part of my sleeve done last week. It's a really cool witch's face. She's creepy as hell. I love her. Wait, that's on your arm? No, it's on my leg. Oh, I'm sorry. You said your sleeve. Yeah. Still a leg sleeve. It's a it's a pant leg. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. On my pant leg. Uh, uh, but we're finally starting to fill in, like, the open space of my sleeve, which is fun. Because uh, that kind of gets, like, the full look. It's rad. It's really cool. He did it. Mike did a wonderful job on that. Yes. We will post pictures of that as well. She's very fucking cool, and I'm very happy with her. Hell yeah, dog. Well, cool. I'm, I'm glad everything from your box sounds, like, totally rad. So I'm very happy for you for that. Is that what is that all that you got this weekend? Uh, yes. Yep. And then I ordered a bunch of patches for my vest because I'm starting to work on a patch vest so that I can wear it during the summertime because I can't oh, wear yeah. my jacket. Uh, and the patches are slowly but surely coming in. So that's awesome. Yeah, we're um we're about to take a vacation and I'm like trying to decide what I want to wear because we're going with like normies. Mm, good luck. You are like the normiest of normies. So, like, a lot of my stuff is like, um, I'm like, oh God. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, <laughs> it like stick out like, like a sore fucking thumb, which is fine. And I don't really care. But at the same time, we're taking like our 80 year old grandma who's like super religious. Yep. Story of my like, life. I'm like, maybe I don't. <laughs> maybe I don't wear <laughs> some of this stuff and I get something else. Like, so yeah, that's. Cool. I'm excited to see the vest. I mean, because your your pin jacket is one of my favorite things you own, but it's definitely a fucking beast to have in the summer. Yep. Well, hell yeah, dog. Um, there's not much really going on around here. Just been like I said in the last episode, reading a whole bunch and um trying to get everything ready before vacation because like vacation is fun and I'm very excited for it, but like. No one really ever thinks about all the prep work you have to do before you leave. No, it's such a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, like I have a million animals and going different places and being checked on by different people, which I'm grateful for, super happy about. But also like the setup for it all is a lot, especially when I've like had all these health issues. So I'm trying to get the garden done so that way everything's ready so people can just like come over, water, leave and like not have to worry about it. But also like get the garden done, get the animals taken care of, get the house taken care of, pack, you know, like get ready. I'm like, oh, my Atlanta. Yeah, so it's, it's just been, a lot. Yeah, it's been a lot. And um, I'm I'm so pumped to go. I mean, I, I guess I can say, like, I'm going to Colorado, which I've never been. And I'm really excited about that because I love mountains. They um, feel just like old and like home. Like just every mountain is 
fucking crazy. Also, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast or if I've ever talked about this with you, but I didn't realize until very recently. Did you realize that the Appalachian Mountains are the same mountains as like the Scottish Highlands? Yes, I did know that. I didn't know that. So like when Pangea was all together, that mountain range was there and then they like separated. Yeah. Which is wild. And I think that's also why we have like very similar cryptids. Yep, and very similar, like, weird fae shit. Yeah, but I thought that was really interesting. So, yeah, I'm going to the Rockies. I'm not even going there. But also, I know we did a whole thing on the Donner Party, and I was like, I wonder if I'm going to be close enough to where the Donners were. Like, I could, like, go near a landmark or something. I didn't realize the Donners never stepped foot in Colorado. They weirdly went around Colorado, and I think that was, like, a part of their, like, the Their problem? Yeah. Yeah. Because Colorado is just a straight line. Like, there's no issues there. But they, like, went, like, up and over and around it. And it's like, nah, dog, you should have. Because they were, like, lower than Colorado. And then they went higher than Colorado to go lower than Colorado. I was like, what? Yeah. Now the route was all fucked up. Yeah. Shout out to fucking Hastings. If you haven't listened to that episode, listen to that episode so we can hate that hater. But, yeah, I'm excited. I've never gone more west than, like, fucking Indiana. So I'm really pumped about that. Um, Yeah, I... um, as a baby, like went to like Hawaii, but I was like a baby. And also like I would never go to Hawaii now that I know like what the fuck's going on with Hawaii and tourists and stuff. But yeah, that's like the farthest I've ever been, but I don't remember any of that. I was like 18 months old. Also, who takes an 18 month old to Hawaii? What were they thinking? I don't know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to go a little bit more west and uh, be in some mountains and just be with some old ass energy. I'm very pumped about that. There's a couple of metaphysical shops like apothecaries out there too that i've been on my list so i'm definitely gonna do a little bit of exploring very pumped about that hell yeah i'm happy for you dude that's gonna be fun thanks well let's get into today's episode which is not on the vibe of any of this um <laughs> today we are covering the history of embalming Woohoo! yay and um how it's not great for the environment Yay! (laughs) So, most of this information came from an article called History of Embalming and Facts on TalkDeath.com, which is a really cool website if you ever have time to take a look. They cover a lot of death-related stuff. It's very neat. I highly recommend it. And also Wikipedia, my bestie. The true homie. For real. So, the definition of embalming is... Embalming is the process of preserving human remains by treating them with chemicals to temporarily stop decomposition. Typically, the reasons for preserving a corpse is to keep the body presentable for public display at a funeral or for medical and scientific purposes, such as the study of human anatomy. There are three overall goals when it comes to embalming, sanitization, presentation, and preservation. Yay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so, yeah because so there's nothing like sanitizing a body before it goes into the ground forever bro is it even really sanitization we uh, I mean, don't no just pumping everything full of chemicals is the answer every time well you know i think that definitely comes from our culture and like the human body's gross yeah even though it's like it's not <laughs> people never understanding death mm-hmm. you're right about that So let's go into the history of embalming, and then we'll get into modern stuff as well, just to kind of cover our grounds. The Chinchorro culture in the Atacama Desert of present-day Chile and Peru are among the earliest cultures known to have performed artificial mummifications as early as 5000 to 6000 BCE. And... What is any story on this podcast if we don't start talking about Egypt? (laughs) I was waiting. (laughs) So I was like, just waiting for it to come up. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the most famous early examples of embalming took place in Egypt, of course. As early as the first dynasty, 3200 BC, specialized priests were in charge of embalming and mummification. These processes involved removing organs drying the body, and covering it in a chemical compound called natron, N-A-T-R-O-N. Natron. Yeah, I had never heard of it. I'm going to talk about what it is, too, because I was like, that's not nitron, is it? No, it's not. (laughs) Interesting. The ancient Egyptians believed that this process of preservation was necessary for the dead to pass into the afterlife. 
So natron is a naturally occurring mixture of sodium carbonate decahydrate, a kind of soda ash, and around 17% sodium bicarbonate, also called baking soda, along with small quantities of sodium chloride and sodium sulfate. Natron is white to colorless when pure, varying to gray or yellowish with impurities. Natron deposits are sometimes found in saline lake beds, which arose in arid environments, which makes sense because yeah, that's a pretty arid environment. It is. That's true. Is that something that's still used today? I don't believe so. I don't want to speak for Egyptian culture because um, mm -hmm. I don't go into their techniques, but I don't believe we're using it in like the United States for, gotcha. for uh, embalming. Other cultures known to have used embalming techniques in antiquity include the Meroites, Guanches, Peruvians, the Hivero people, Aztecs, Toltecs, Mayans, and Tibetan and Southern Nigerian tribes. I have a note in here that says I feel like the Aztecs just did everything because I do feel like they did. Like they're part of everything yeah. too, but it's one of those cultures that like gets missed a lot. Yeah, it's well, they got really fucking decimated. Yeah, they did. So we lost like a, it's kind of like the Library of Alexandria. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just losing like a bunch of history and knowledge. Oh, you know, because we love doing that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Shout out to England. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the earliest known evidence of artificial preservation in Europe was found in Osorno, Spain, and are about 5,000 years old human bones covered in cinnabar for preservation, but embalming remained unusual in Europe up to the time of the Roman Empire. And hmm. uh, cinnabar, or cinnabarite, is the bright scarlet to brick red form of mercury sulfide. It is the most common source ore for refining elemental mercury and is the historic source for the brilliant red or scarlet pigment termed vermilion and associated red mercury pigments. I love vermilion. Just the Me name. Too. So yeah, good. it's really cool. In China, Artificially preserved remains have been recovered from the period of the Han Dynasty, 206 BCE to 220 CE, the main examples being those of Zin Zihui, Z-H-U-I. I know my pronunciations are terrible, so I'm going to spell it every time I doubt so that everyone can look it up and correct me later. <laughs> and the Mawangdi... Mangduai, M-A-W-A-N-G-D-U-I, Han Tomb Site. While these remains have been extraordinarily well preserved, the embalming fluids and methods are still unknown, which is insane to me. I'm like, that is fucking rad. That is cool. Like, we just haven't figured it out. You got no idea what the hell they're doing. No, they just fucking figured it out and they did the damn thing and we're still like, what? <laughs> have we talked about this before, the guy who did the taxidermy like the blow-up taxidermy blow-up taxidermy yeah i i think i reposted it on our tiktok but this guy like 40 years ago like died but he had spent his whole life doing this like puffed up taxidermy where it's like just like the skin of an animal with like no insides okay but they have no idea how he did it that's insane like it cannot be like this lady was like holding up an alligator and it's like fully puffed up like an alligator would be but like you can see through its mouth to its tail like there's nothing oh, in it that's interesting yeah. so like sometimes people just do shit and we have no idea how to recreate it sounds about right yeah scientific method baby in europe Embalming didn't become a common practice until the Middle Ages and the Renaissance when developments in the realms of science and medicine began to influence death care practices and bodies were needed for dissection and study. The use of chemical injections to preserve bodies was first made possible in the 17th century by William Harvey, an English physician who was the first to study the circulatory system in detail. Which is, like, fascinating to me because I always think about people first looking at the circulatory system and being like, what in the fuck? Uh, yeah. Like, our central nervous system, literally, it's like you, we're a jellyfish with eyes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 
The Scottish surgeon William Hunter was the first to apply his knowledge to embalming techniques, writing a report on the appropriate methods for embalming in order to preserve bodies for burial. Early methods used are documented by contemporary physicians such as Peter Forestus and Ambrose Pear. Ambrose Pear. Yeah, P-A-R-E. Ambrose Pear. That's Ambrose. I'm pretty sure that's something you can buy at Kroger. Like an Ambro- Ambrosia pear. Ambrosia pear. What yeah. a name. That sounds like a drag queen. Go off. It does. It does. Maybe it was. Maybe. Rewriting history just because we can. Why not? Women in STEM. We go off. Um, the first attempts to inject the vascular system were made by Alessandra Gelani, who died in 1326. Various attempts and procedures have been reported by Leonardo da Vinci, Jacobus Beringer, Bartholomew Estachilis, Rainer de Graaf, Jan, or it's probably Jean, Swammerdam, and Frederick Ruisch, R-U-Y-S-C-H. But the important name in there, at least the one that I knew, was Leonardo da Vinci, which he really do be fucking around with literally everything. That's so crazy. So he was dealing with embalming and he was acting on the Titanic. Like, what a range. Yeah, dude. He's just really doing it. (laughs) Mr. Da Vinci, the lead actor in Titanic. (laughs) You know, Leonardo. (laughs) He was a real teenage heartthrob, that Leonardo Da Vinci. Oh, God. I was just thinking we covered some of his stuff in the Pendulum episode. And now here we are in embalming talking about him again. Yeah, he was a real smart cookie. Yeah. Yes, he was. In the United States, it wasn't until the Civil War era that embalming became widespread. Demand for embalming grew during that period, mostly for sentimental and practical reasons, because people were dying all over the place and needed to, the bodies needed to get home somehow. Wow, that is... It's crazy how much culture is affected by war. Yeah, a lot of 90% of it, I would say. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, if not more. It's yeah, that's crazy. Cuz those bodies did have to travel a long a long way. I and think that's slow. It wasn't fast. Yeah, there was no car. I think that's something that like um we've never really talked about and I know we have some international listeners who might maybe like don't like you can look at a map, but like until you're like spending 14 hours driving two states away, it's like kind mm-hmm. of hard to explain how much land is in America and the idea that like there were kids from like Boston going to fight in like Alabama. Yep. And by wagon, that's probably a month. Or longer, depending or on longer, yeah. And they left. Right. Like and you know, there's also weather that you have to deal with because Alabama's always hot, but then mass and like from for like only five months out of the year is warm so it's like i can definitely see why they needed to do something for the body so that way they weren't just like taking rotting corpses for a month like that or like two months like that's well the body might not even make it home right or just be bones yeah or just you know a pile of gas yeah that's true Anyway, this is an episode about decomposition (laughs) but we always seem to talk about it i mean listen it is what it is Like we were saying, the families of soldiers who died in battle in far-off locations wanted to see their loved ones and have the chance to display their body for others to pay their respects. Embalming helped to ensure that bodies wouldn't decompose on their way home from the battlefield. Another motive behind embalming at this time was to prevent the spread of disease, which, um, while allowing time to properly prepare the body for burial. The belief that dead bodies can spread disease was later debunked by science so again with that whole like sanitization thing mm-hmm. it it doesn't really do that but it's not a thing yeah <laughs> that needs to happen yeah until the early 20th century arsenic was usually used as embalming fluid until it hmm. was discovered that less toxic chemicals could be used which is usually the case and that a bunch of people are like negatively impacted for using arsenic for the billion years yep in 1867, the German chemist August Wilhelm von Hoffmann discovered formaldehyde and its power to preserve. This discovery eventually spurred formaldehyde's use as foundational chemical for modern methods of embalming. And that shit's in everything. Yeah, it is. It's kind of wild. 
Well, while we were talking about the history of embalming, I also wanted to visit Abraham Lincoln and his funeral. I'm not mm. covering his death. I think we all fairly know how that happened. If you didn't, uh, spoilers, I guess. Abraham Lincoln died and was murdered. Um, <laughs> you didn't know that? Um, so I guess look into that if you want to know more. He was seen Hamilton. No, sorry. <laughs> it was Alexander Hamilton. Anyway, so I wanted to go into his embalming because he was embalmed and also his funeral because it was very important so i love that you said he was embalmed so casually <laughs> he was he was embalmed let me he tell was you embalmed, let me tell you he was and we're gonna talk about it so i did talk about abraham lincoln's embalming in another episode as well i can't remember what episode it was but i mentioned it so here we are most of the information in this section is from the article Abraham Lincoln, the president who made embalming great again by, oh, Patricia, no. by <laughs> Patricia Hartley on ConnectingDirectors.com. You know what, Trisha? Go off. <laughs> I couldn't. It was so good. I couldn't. I had to bring Okay. <laughs> well, so doctors Charles Brown and Harry Cattell were called upon to embalm the president after his assassination and death on April 14, 1865. Using a French embalming mixture described by the Chicago Tribune on May 2, 1865 as, quote, a concentrated solution of sulfate alumina, end quote, the doctors were able to make the body like marble so that it would not perceptibly change for several months and would quote never know decay mm -hmm. and let me tell you it fucking did it so it sure, did. it sure fucking did it preservation was imperative for the body's 1654 mile 13 day journey by train to springfield illinois lincoln's hometown that's wild i know right after lying in state for three days in the rotunda of the Capitol in Washington, the funeral train carrying Lincoln departed on April 21st, 1865. Accompanying Lincoln to Springfield for burial were the remains of his son, Willie, who was to be entombed alongside his father. What's very interesting about this is Willie was also embalmed three years earlier by the same doctors that embalmed Lincoln himself. Really? Yes. That is interesting. The train traveled through 180 cities and seven states, making stops to allow mourners to pay their respects to the slain president. During these events, Lincoln's coffin was taken off the train and moved in procession to a public building for viewing. People were amazed at the lifelike appearance of Lincoln's corpse. Even on May 2nd, nearly three weeks after his death, Lincoln's face was somewhat discolored, a characteristic attributed to the gunshot wound, but otherwise his countenance exhibited an extremely natural and lifelike appearance, more as if calmly slumbering than in the cold embrace of death, according to the Chicago Tribune reporter. That's, that's a hard line right there. Calmly slumbering. Calmly slumbering. Which, good for him. I mean, yeah, go off, take a nap. Take a long nap. <laughs> <laughs> it is estimated that one million people viewed President Lincoln's body from the time of his death until his burial in Springfield, Illinois. His coffin was the most elaborate of that time. President Lincoln also had the distinction of having the largest funeral throughout the world until President John F. Kennedy's death in 1963. Which is like, That's wow. This is, what year was this? 1865? It was 1865, yep. 1865. Hold on. That is kind of crazy. So I had to look it up because I was like, I feel like there, um, there was only 30 million people in all of America at that time. So that's a pretty big turnout. I mean, that's a huge percentage of the population. I would say that's a huge percentage of the population just of people who could even get there. Yeah. Because it's not like, I mean, that's from you know, California all the way across. It's not like, you know, I mean, I'm sure maybe some people came in, but I don't know what, you know, what those percentages look like. But I mean, you're that's talking like everyone in the surrounding states was like, all right, it's time to go see the boy slumber. Yeah. That's crazy. Good for him. He deserved it. He did. 
You know, that's something that's I think is kind of interesting is like there's like this weird thing that Republicans are doing now where they're trying to say, like, people didn't like Lincoln. Why? Right. Well, because he because he freed the slaves, you know, he freed the slaves and um, did the whole Civil War thing. And, you know, they don't like that very much. And they'll be like, nah, Americans hated him. But it's like if you go like anywhere other than the South, like people fucking love that man. Yeah, he seems like a pretty solid bro. So it's like kind of wild to me that like there's like this weird history revisionist thing going on right now because like dog that man i mean a million people who like didn't have cards went to came to see him like and that's after all the other people had already seen him yeah also isn't there a movie about him hunting werewolves i feel like we should <laughs> mention that because like let's give him cred where cred is due yeah he definitely has like uh he's a wide range you know he has a, he has a wide range also like I kind of have the mindset of like let's pay, let's take him up and see what he looks like now. Like I don't really want to disturb his spirit. I'm sorry, but like I gotta know because like it's like for months, homie just looked fine. So what's yeah. he look like now? Like imagine he's still just like slumbering. Yeah. Straight chilling. Well, back to his coffin because that thing was had to be crazy considering how fucking tall Lincoln was. How tall was he? That's a good question. You like six five or some shit like that? Six four. Six four. That's kind of crazy. Like, like my dad's six four. Yeah, but I think like everyone said at the time. Every time I hear someone describe him, it's like Jack Skeleton, like really tall. Well, to like, be fair, tall people really back then weren't common, and even like me as like a six two woman, like there's a bunch of like young tall women now, but I was like one of like three. And like my whole life that were like because like tall women weren't really a thing until like the 90s <laughs> right like it just and like that sounds funny but it's like that's it we just there was a culture clash there of a lot of short people banging it out for a long time and uh so yeah i guess him being six four in the 1600s yeah he probably was a fucking giant because when we went to boston dude it was like i was ducking in every door because everyone's yeah, so tiny. Always, uh, he always wore a giant hat, too, you know? That's true. He's probably, like, seven foot tall in total. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> well, his coffin was constructed of solid walnut, lined with lead, and completely covered in expensive black cloth. Not the lead. Not the lead. Well, it's always lead. It's always lead. It was six feet, six inches long, and was decorated with sterling silver handles and sterling silver studs, extending the entire length of its sides. Flashy. You know. Though the coffin appears austere compared to modern caskets, the original was custom-made for the president and featured a removable two-part top and a lead lining. Apparently, there is a replica, and it does not contain lead, which is important. <laughs> <laughs> The distinction between a coffin and a casket is that a coffin has six sides and is a diamond shape, and a casket has four sides. Just, I, don't, I don't think we've ever talked about that, so. Wait, what do you mean it has six sides? So, um... Oh, like at the top? Like the corners? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that's interesting. No, I guess I've never thought about that. The more you know. The more you know. The coffin played prominently in a plot by thieves to steal the president's body in 1876 when a counterfeiting ring's top engraver was in prison. His gang decided to break into the tomb and steal the body. They planned what? to hold Lincoln for a ransom of $200,000 in gold and the freedom of their engraver. <laughs> As the coffin was being removed from the tomb, the, the plot was foiled when lawmen made their move. Because, you know, like, you can't just be like, we're going to steal the fucking body of the president and not expect people to get pissed. Yeah, someone's going to notice. Yeah, that's not, it's not easy. In 1900, President Lincoln's son, Robert, was afraid that more attempts to steal the president's body would be made. He decided that the new burial chamber was inadequate and plans were made to permanently protect the president from any future attempts to enter the grave. It was during this time of construction that the coffin of President Lincoln was opened and a select few had the opportunity to view the body of the president one last time. The reasoning for this was to ensure that previous attempts to seal the body of the president were not successful. 
it was determined that the body in the coffin was indeed that of the president. His appearance had not changed much since that of its original burial in 1865. That's what I'm saying, dog. What does he look like now? Oh, 40 years? Yes, and he looked, like, perfect. So what's another couple hundred? Like, I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Give us the deets. That's crazy. And that's also crazy because I thought, I was like, how are they going to identify him? It's like, well, they just looked at him. <laughs> well, I can tell you that we're not going to be able to look at him because on September 26, 1901, President Lincoln was then permanently buried. The coffin was placed in a cage 10 feet deep and encased in 4,000 pounds of concrete. 10 feet deep. <laughs> and encased in 4,000 pounds of concrete. Well, that's a... That's a well-committed nap. <laughs> well-committed slumber. Really a, a nap that I can admire. I mean, to be honest, like, with back in, like, I guess 1900, maybe that, like, we could get to that. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not planning to dig up a president. I want to make that very clear. I'm just saying, like, what's 10 feet of concrete nowadays, you know? Oh, man. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure in 19, it was a very formidable plan in 1900, but it's 2023 and we have bobcats. Like, <laughs> that is crazy to think. Like, imagine he's still like just pristine down there. Yeah, he could be. He probably is. I'm sure the concrete helped, honestly. Yeah. In the cage, you know, just keep him a little cozy. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> This has turned into a good for Abraham Lincoln episode. <laughs> Almost all of them are really like for real. Um, it could be said that Abraham Lincoln's death triggered the beginning of modern day funeral services. President Lincoln was the first public figure to be embalmed and put on view for almost three weeks. The embalming technique used on President Lincoln was primarily used on soldiers who died during the Civil War and needed to be transported home, like we were talking about earlier. Um, because being able to view the body for extended periods of time without being able to ice them um, was a precursor for modern-day funeral service. People at that time thought embalming was a barbaric violation of the body, but Lincoln's funeral had changed that perception. President Lincoln's public viewing introduced the population to the benefits of embalming. Mourners were able to see the late president for 20 days, and embalming made it possible. Isn't it interesting that as a culture we're kind of going back to that? Yeah, isn't it? That is like a huge invasion of a body. Well, I think the difference, though, is like religion v. nature. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's for like the right. Well, I mean, the right. Who who, who the fuck can say, I guess. Who gets to decide that, but yeah. Yeah, but like the idea that we're. Because imagine all of us are just like fucking looking like we're taking a long slumber underground for like the rest of eternity like it's Bro, just like, we're really just setting up the zombies to be like yeah. in better shape you know but also like that's not good for the environment and i know we'll get there but it's like all i can think about is like it's just like a random man's bodies in the ground forever under like 10 feet of concrete like we do weird things when it comes to death we do yeah i will talk about it in a little bit so don't worry we're covering it so let's get into modern embalming. The modern method of embalming involves the injection of various chemical solutions into the arterial network of the body to primarily disinfect and slow the decomposition process. William Harvey, the 17th century English physician who was the first to detail the system of blood circulation, made his discoveries by injecting colored solutions into corpses, which I'm sure that was a fucking crazy science experiment for people to walk in on. What? <laughs> I want to be green. <laughs> yeah, you know? Just whatever color you want. Make me a smurf. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The Scottish surgeon William Hunter was the first to apply these methods to the art of embalming as part of mortuary practice. He wrote a widely read report on the appropriate methods for arterial and cavity embalming in order to preserve bodies for burial. His brother, John Hunter, applied these methods and advertised his embalming services to the general public from the mid-18th century. One of his notorious clients was dentist Martin Van Butchel. When his wife, Mary, died on January 14th, 1775, he had her embalmed as an attraction to draw more customers. 
No. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Hunter injected the body with preservatives and color additives that gave a glow to the corpse's cheeks, replaced her eyes with glass eyes, and dressed her in a fine lace dress. The body was embedded in a layer of plaster of Paris and a glass-topped coffin. What? Yep. <laughs> Hold on. Butchell exhibited the body in the window of his home, and many Londoners came to see it. But Butchell drew criticism for the display, as he fucking should. What the fuck? Uh... A rumor, possibly started by Butchell himself, claimed that his wife's marriage certificate had specified that her husband would only have control over her estate after her death for as long as her body was kept unburied. No fucking way. What the fuck? <laughs> oh my god, women don't even get a break in death, dude. No, dude. Okay, go off. I'm sorry. Embalming today in the West involves a number of key steps. First, the deceased is placed on the mortuary table with the head elevated by a head block. The embalmer then confirms that the deceased is dead by checking for signs of death, such as lividity, clouded corneas, and rigor mortis. The body is then thoroughly washed using disinfectant and germicidal solutions. During this part of the process, the embalmer relieves rigor mortis by moving the deceased limbs and massaging their muscles. Which, I know the first time I heard that, I was like, what? That's, that's all you gotta do? Turn it off? Massage. The eyes are kept shut using small caps placed on the eyes below the eyelids. The mouth may also have to be kept shut using a suture. These steps, called setting the features, which I love, are important and are done to make the deceased look as natural and relaxed as possible, and also so that the mouth and eyes won't open. A photograph of the deceased is typically used as reference point during this process. There are four key steps during the actual embalming process. The first step is called arterial embalming. This involves the injection of embalming chemicals into the blood vessels. Blood and other fluids are displaced by this injection are expelled from the right jugular vein. This process and the fluids that are displaced are collectively referred to as drainage. Cute. The second step is called cavity embalming, which refers to the replacement of the body's internal fluids with embalming chemicals. During this part of the process, the embalmer makes a small incision just above the navel and pushes a surgical instrument called a trocar into the chest and stomach cavities. This punctures the hollow organs and allows their liquid contents to be drained. These cavities are then filled with chemicals that contain formaldehyde. The third step is called hypodermic embalming. This is a supplemental method that is used as needed depending on the individual body. A needle is used to treat areas where preserving fluid was not successfully distributed in the body during the main arterial injection. The fourth and final step is called surface embalming. This is another supplemental method conducted as needed that uses embalming chemicals to preserve and restore areas directly on the skin's surface. This method is usually more necessary if there is excessive skin damage, usually from like an accident, illness, or decomposition. Embalming of this type is intended only to prepare bodies for funeral services or to allow for bodies to be transported long distances for burial. So, that is the whole process of modern embalming and, like, how it works. Now I want to tell you why we should not embalm people. <laughs> As we Wait, have alluded to. Before you get into this, have you still never played Mortuary Assistant? Not the one that's spooky. I've played one that's, like, you're playing as a mortician and... Your whole thing is like your mortuary gets bought out by a corporation and it sucks and you're not able to do the things you want to do, but not the one that's like spooky scary. The spooky I've watched one, video of it. It's so good. Yeah. We all have to play it sometime. It's it's wonderful. As you're sitting there going through it, I literally am like remembering the game and like it literally goes step by step, like all of it. It's crazy. Well, that's good to know that it's like while also being fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah, because they're it's scary. It's so scary. scary. Yeah. All right. It is important to note that embalming is not required. While some areas require it if the body will be displayed in an open casket, it is not actually something that has to be completed before someone is buried. 
embalming is very environmentally costly. Over 800,000 gallons of formaldehyde are buried in the ground each year, enough to fill 1.2 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Formaldehyde is a highly toxic, inflammable chemical that has actually been classified by the Environment Protection Agency, EPA, as a probable human carcinogen. And we're just putting it right on top of aquaphor. Yep, because there's evidence that suggests that they might affect our groundwater sources and the surrounding land. Because when you're putting them in a body and then putting it in the ground, and the body is decomposing and is leaking into the ground, not good. Not good. The health risk of someone viewing a body during a service where the body has been embalmed is very low. There is, however, a consensus that embalmers are putting their health at risk by being exposed to formaldehyde's fumes. Yeah, it's like, uh... Because it's bad. Yeah, it's bad for you. It's like the, you know, but people pump gas and they had to get rid of that in most states. Yep. Because it's not good for you to be around noxious fumes. Like, it's just not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and then we're just putting those fumes into our fucking ground, into the yeah. earth. And our grandma. Like, we need to... Yes. <laughs> Guys, it's not great. Yeah. So, this is where I mentioned that people don't always like to talk about death and what they want done with their bodies when they die. But it's good to have those discussions while you're still alive. Like, mm -hmm. it is not fun, but the people who are going to be involved in what happens after you die need to know what needs to be going on with your body or else they're just going to do whatever makes the most sense and whatever whatever they think needs to be done well and also we live in a culture where we're all so fucking far removed from death that we all think we we are privileged or entitled to live till we're 96 you could die tomorrow anyone yep. could die at any point for no reason like we're body we're meat meat sacks with electricity <laughs> sometimes that shit goes wrong flying around in space and like you need to like talk like living wills are important like that kind of stuff is important not if for everyone not even just old people or whatever and it's not all about assets but it's also like how do you want your body to be treated yeah, because at this point, there's so many different options for alternative burials. I will do an episode on alternative burials at some point because I think it's so important to, like, spread that information. Yeah, definitely. Um, because nowadays, you can become a fucking tree. You can that's me. get put into a box and get turned into mulch, and then your family's allowed to come pick up their mulchy people dirt and put it all over the wherever the you fuck they want. compost me around some dahlias. Thank you. Yeah, there's so many options. And you can get thrown into the ocean to be shark food. Yeah, you can literally Pretty be part cool. of like, the reef. Feed the shark. Yeah, be part of reef is so cool. It is so fucking cool. So we'll cover way, all way fucking cooler than uh, fucking a gallon of plastic acid <laughs> in the ground. Get in the ground. Yeah. So, you know, take some time to do some research on alternative burials. Wait for us to release that episode if you want, because um, you know I'm not. We're gonna we're gonna do it. We mm -hmm. have to, because I think that might be a. Seraphine and I both cover that one because there's Hell some yeah. of her stuff and some of my stuff in that one as well. Yeah, and we'll talk about assisted suicide because that shit's dope as fuck. Sorry, anyway. <laughs> you know we probably should cover that. Listen, it's interesting. We are. I think it's interesting to talk about death because a lot of people shy away from it because it's scary, and it is scary. But it doesn't have to be scary and harmful. Yeah. It could, you can, there's something about choosing power over what you want with your body when you're done with it. And there's some type of peace there. At least there is for me. I would agree with that. Well, uh, if you're still here, thanks for listening to our multiple <laughs> rants. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. I would suggest not embalming yourself so many times that 40 years later you still look exactly the same. Wild. Or don't embalm a bitch for her estate and keep her in her fucking window. It's weird. Also that. Also, do you want to know something that really bothers me? Like I said earlier, like women don't even get a break in death. There's something yeah. that haunts me probably every three days I think about. Do you know about Marilyn Monroe? What about her? um fucking about her burial and the scenario around that no i don't know anything about her burial okay actually. so homegirl's buried in like you know like um an american horror story in hotel that like the crypt that's like yeah. the wall of all so she's buried in that 
Um, it's the um fucking Westwood Cemetery. It's like where all the celebrities get buried. Oh yeah. And Joe DiMaggio had purchased like two crypts in in or two burial plots in that when they were married and when they got divorced. He sold his to a man named Richard Poncher who's buried directly above Marilyn Monroe. And in his will, he stated that he wanted to be buried upside down so that way he's on top of her at all times. That's disgusting. It bothers me to my fucking core. And then guess who's right next to her left there? Would you want to take a guess? Is it JFK? (laughs) (laughs) It would be funnier if it was JFK. No, it's Hugh fucking Hefner. No! Yeah. Yeah. He is right next on the left to her. So she's just, like, still not getting a break from any of these evil fucking men that, like, ruined her fucking life and, like, took advantage of her. So, like, just fucking give women a break. But also, if you are a woman and you're listening to this podcast, like, please think long and hard about what the fuck you want. Because, like, shit's fucking scary out here. Like, people don't even get a break in fucking death and it pisses me the fuck off. It really makes me mad because I think that... And we'll talk about it more in the alternative death. But I think that respecting bodies is the, is akin to respecting the person who used that body. 100%. Um, and, and I just think that everyone should get the peace that they fucking deserve. And, um, yeah, embalming is not necessarily the best way. But sometimes it's the only way, depending on what state you're in. But if you are in a state that offers different, we'll teach you all about that in in a future episode. Because I just think... I just think that we only get one life, we only get one body, and it's just important to treat bodies with respect. Also, not to be that guy, but we only get one fucking planet Earth also. Yes, a fucking man. We only get one of all of these things. Let's not take shit for granted. Life could be, I think, respecting life and the idea of respecting death makes your trip around the world cooler. Agreed. So, you know. Be fucking cool humans. Learn about death. It is important because guess what? You can't fucking escape it. It is coming for you. Every day. We're closer to death. So at least be fucking homies, you know? Stay alive. uh, Yeah, stay alive for now. Mm -hmm. And uh, stay out, Arcadia. 